2 Corinthians, and we're going to go to chapter 1 and verses 3 through 7 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Are you glad you're saved? Amen. Amen. I'd, I'd hate to say you, hear you say no, but anyways, uh, if you found your place, say amen with me. Amen. We're going to read uh, verses 3 through 7, and so I'll begin reading. You can follow along with me. The Bible says, Blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And verse 7 says, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that ye are partakers of the suffering. So shall ye be also of the consolation. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll let you be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of life, dear God. You're so good to us. And Lord God Almighty, we do not deserve to be here today. But Lord, we thank you, God, that you're such a gracious God. You're a forgiving God. And Lord, I pray that you bless every, uh, every person here today, every student, every staff member. And God, I just pray that you'd use these next few minutes, God, that uh, you would speak to us. And please, Holy Spirit of God, meet with us in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that something today that would be said would change somebody's life forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I do uh, thank you so much for coming today, and of course, not like you had a choice or anything, but it's almost like we have a captive audience, is that right? I used to preach in prison for years, and um, they didn't have to come, but when they did, they were there and they couldn't leave, and so you may be in the same boat today. <laughs> but uh, the music was amazing. Thank you for the, the choir that did such a wonderful job, and sure appreciate you, Brother Shepherd, and the staff getting to know some of you, and uh, Brother Weaver, thank you. And Mrs. Weaver, thank you. You have uh, been very uh, hospitable, and it's been good to get to know uh, several of you here. And I do want to say it's good to uh, see uh, Tyler King. Where's Tyler at today? Uh, come on now. We're... All right. Brother Tyler interned for us uh, there at our church last summer, did a great job, and I sure appreciate him. He represented your school well. And I appreciate him doing that. He needs, a new, he needs a, another lesson, Mrs. Weaver, in English or two. If you could help him with that, that would be good. But uh, anyways, I sure appreciate Brother Tyler. And I want to thank Dr. Chapel as well for allowing me the opportunity to be here today. I do not deserve it, I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of like the guy, uh, I think it was Samuel Mings once said, he said, I wanted to be a somebody. But God allowed me to be a nobody, sharing with everybody about somebody that can save anybody. Amen. 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 Don't, don't ask me to say that again, all right? But... Uh, Anyways, I sure appreciate Dr. Chappell giving me the opportunity to come and be here today and speak to you, and I do not take it lightly, and thank you so much for this opportunity, Dr. Chappell, and then I also want to thank the staff, all of you who are staff here, thank you for doing what you do, and uh, of course, um, you are uh, impacting and changing lives every day by doing what you do, and by the way, um, 
we're looking to hire here pretty soon. Uh, another, uh, well, I have a current youth pastor that actually just started with me about three months ago, but I'm looking to have somebody to come in here in the next year or two, just if you're kind of looking for that uh, line of work or you're looking to go into something like that into a youth pastor, also a couple that would be a youth pastor slash piano player. Everybody's, all churches looking for good piano players. I tell you what, you just can't find enough good piano players out there. And I want a uh, young couple. And by the way, this, this uh, new staff uh, individual would be a, he would be a youth pastor, and then of course I have uh, Brother Bobby Buchanan Jr., who is now my new youth pastor. But I want him to work with somebody to bring somebody else in, and his wife is my new piano player, and uh, they're doing a great job with us. But uh, also some secretarial work. So uh, in the future, if you're interested in something like that, I'm telling you, would love to have you come uh, look at us, visit us, and uh, talk to us about that in the future. And if you're if you're wondering what Homeline Baptist Church is all about, maybe you can see Brother Tyler somewhere along the way, and he can give you a little insight on what's going on. But I do want to tell you just a little bit, just a brief, brief testimony. Brother um, uh, Weaver, Dr. Weaver wanted me to share just a little bit about my testimony. And, and I, was, I was having dinner with he and his wife yesterday. And, and as I would tell him a few things, he would say, you need to tell our, our, teen, our, our, our young people that you need to tell our, our college students that. And I would tell him something else. He'd say, you need to tell them that tomorrow. I would tell him something else. Say, he said, you need to tell them about that tomorrow. And then after I got through telling him several different things of what God is doing at, at Homeline Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, then I told him a little bit of a story about my family and, and, and my daughter. And he says, you need to tell him that as well. And he says, I don't know how you're going to get all that in tomorrow, but he says, somehow tonight you, need, you need to get all that in. And so we're going to do all we can to get all that in, Dr. Weaver. But uh, anyways, uh, uh, several years ago, I, was, uh, I, was, I pastored a church in John Day, Oregon. And some of you are familiar with uh, uh, Brother Lawrence and, and his testimony, how he passed away. I pastored the same, same church in John Day, Oregon that he pastored. And then um, God moved me from there, moved me to a place up in Washington and uh, served there for about a year and a half. And then God just uh, uh, took a, an abrupt change. He, he said, hey, uh, you're done here. And he moved me out of there. And I, I went to uh, work with uh, Brother Mutchler. Actually, actually was just in, in, in his church there, serving, just serving the Lord in a, in a Sunday school class, just teaching there. And uh, wasn't pastoring a church at that time. And, and uh, was there about a year teaching Sunday school and took a Sunday school class about 12. And before we knew it, it was, know it, it was running about 45, uh, 50 in that class there. And just, I was, I was longing to be on staff there with, with uh, Dr. Mutchler. And I was praying that God would allow me to, to, to be there and, and work with him and, and maybe even serve there the rest of my life. And I kept praying, God, would you allow me to be on staff here? And God just did not open that door. So I prayed one day. I just said, God, you know, my family's in the South. My, my mom and dad at the time we're living in Carlsbad, New Mexico, and my sister in Hobbs, New Mexico, and, and uh, my wife's family grew up in, in Snyder, Texas, and, and I knew my mom and dad were going to be moving to Hobbs, Texas pretty soon, and so I just asked the Lord, Lord, if you would allow me uh, to pastor again, would you put me in Midland, Texas? Now, that's the dumbest thing you'd ever say to go from Oregon to Midland, Texas. Anybody ever been to Midland, Texas? Okay, there's nothing there but dirt and oil pump jacks. All right, that's all that's there. I mean, it is, it is one of the ugliest places. You don't go to Midland, Texas for the beauty. Okay, you go there for the will of God. But anyways, I asked God, I said, God, would you put me in Midland, Texas? And I didn't tell anybody but God and my wife. And when I told my wife there, she just looked at me and laughed. And she said, no, that ain't happening. I do not want to go back to Midland, Texas, or, or even Texas in general, because she grew up in Snyder, Texas. She didn't like it there. And so anyways, uh, because it's just nothing but hot and dirt. So anyhow, um, I prayed that. And like I said, I didn't tell anybody but God and my wife. Three months later, I got a phone call from a gentleman named uh, Philip Wynn, 
who is, by the way, now in heaven. He passed away about a year ago. But anyways, he called me one day. He says, Brother Foreman, my name is uh, Pastor Philip Wynn. And uh, he says, I am pastor in Durant, Oklahoma. And um, I got your name from a pastor in Abilene, Texas. And there's a church in Midland, Texas looking for a pastor. Boy, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And I said, okay, God, if you want me in Midland, Texas. And, and by the way, I asked God specifically. I threw the fleece out there and said, God, if you, if you want me to pastor again, would you put me in Midland, Texas? And sure enough, I got a phone call. And by the way, like I said, I didn't tell anybody but God and my wife. And my wife wasn't telling anybody because she didn't want to go back. <laughs> okay? So it's just, it had to be of God. And so when I, when I heard that, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know if it was a church of five or 500. Well, as it turned out, it was a church of five. Five people. But it didn't matter. I asked God, and I wasn't specific. I didn't say, God, would you let me pastor a church of 250 plus? No, it was just a church of five people. And so I got to talking to the, the gentleman that called me, Brother Wynn, and then he turned me over to the people that started the church. The, the gentleman that started the church, his name was uh, uh, Don Lilly. He was in his 60s, later, later 60s, and so anyways, got to talking to him. And then from there, I um, uh, went down to candidate for all five of them. Come to find out, they didn't even have their own facility. They did, but this gentleman took his shop in his backyard, Brother uh, 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 what he did was he, he took his shop of a 40 by 40 shop. He knew God wanted him to start this church two years before we actually got there. He took his shop, it was a woodworking shop, it was a, uh, uh, a uh, dream shop of his, Brother Shepherd, a dream shop where he, he took all of his woodworking tools and all that and he moved it out into another facility and he, and he uh, uh, created or put in there a 30 seat auditorium. Made a platform and everything, a little pulpit and, and 30 chairs. And he thought, man, when we fill this thing up, we're going to get to move on, get some property, move on. Well, as it turned out, the first two years of their, their existence, they struggled. Just didn't, nothing happened really. And to be honest with you, they didn't, really didn't start it scripturally. But uh, Pastor Wynn that, that called me, he was driving down there every month, once a month from Oklahoma. He would drive down there and he would preach for them just to keep the doors open. And uh, Brother Lilly, the one that started it, he was a song leader. And then they had another man who had been a, a former uh, assistant pastor and deacon in the church. And by this time, he's about 78 years old. And, and he's just preaching every, every week just to keep the doors open. And that's about all they did was keep the doors open. And every time they thought about closing the church, they would think somebody would send them a check for $2,000 or $4,000 or something like that. And so they said, you know, God obviously wants us to keep this place open. So sure enough, went down there, candidated for all five of them. And there it was, God called my wife and I. And I had to convince my wife, look, this is God's will. She didn't really think so, but I had to convince her that this was God's will. I knew it was. You just don't ask God and throw a fleece out there and say, God, put me in Midland, Texas. And then all the places in the world. I mean, she said this. She says, why didn't you say Hawaii? Why didn't you call on God and say Hawaii? Why did you say Midland, Texas? But anyways, you just don't put a fleece out there like that to God and call out to God and, and God give you a phone call, and sure enough, the very place you prayed about was where God wanted you to go. You just don't do that. But uh, it was pretty amazing uh, how God did things in that, in that regard. Anyways, that was five years ago. This past Sunday, we had, well, well just a few weeks ago, four or five weeks ago, um, or a month ago, I celebrated my five-year anniversary. Then, then the seven-year anniversary of the church was last Sunday. And this last Sunday, prior to the anniversary Sunday, we put together a four-week spring program. 
And uh, we had a great time with that. And the Lord allowed us to, to have a great program. And, and on the last Sunday, last Sunday was uh, uh, the anniversary Sunday, seven year anniversary of the church. And we had 211 in church last Sunday. Praise, praise be to God. We, we, with that program that, that the Lord allowed us to put together, we, over the course of the past four weeks, we had 127 first-time visitors. Praise the Lord. In that four-week program, we had 63 people saved. Well, God is good, isn't he? You see, God can do that with anybody. You just got to be willing and be used of God to say, God, I'll go anywhere. Wherever you want me to go, God, I'll go. Even if it's a, a church of five and it's, it's a church in the backyard. And by the way, we still meet in the backyard. God has allowed us, though, a year and a half ago, he allowed us to buy five acres of property where uh, just three and a half years into my ministry there, he allowed us to buy five acres of property. And, and uh, Midland property is not cheap because the oil field is booming there and everybody's moving into Midland, Texas by the droves. And so property is not cheap there. And we were able to buy a property a year and a half ago at $100,000 an acre. So God allowed us to spend uh, 500, a half a million dollars that we paid cash for. Wow, God is amazing. God is good. I mean, I mean, it is exciting to see what God is doing right there at Homeline Baptist Church. Uh, by the way, let me say this, soul winning still works. Yeah. Got to say it again, soul winning still works. Yeah. Don't let them tell you that it doesn't work anymore because it still works. I have an incredible staff that God has given me. It's, it's pretty amazing that just in a short time, God has allowed us to put together a staff where I have three pastors that... I have five assistant pastors in my church already, three of them of which have already pastored several churches prior to them being with me. I have a staff evangelist, Brother Shannon Scott, and I believe uh, he's been asked to come out and he'll be preaching with you, I think, somewhere later on in the year. But um, God has been good to us there and to have that kind of staff it is amazing. I have five, five other men and I have two staff ladies. One is our piano player and secretary and then a part-time secretary. My wife is the other secretary. But let me say this. Some of you young men that are looking to go start a church somewhere one day or you're looking to go take a small church, you ought to come visit Homeline Baptist Church some, someday. You ought to come check it out and see the church in the backyard because it's not going to be the church in the backyard much longer. We're getting ready to build this year. And boy, if you can come even this summer, come look at it. Come see what God is doing. Because what it does is this, is when you come see the church in the backyard, this family has literally given up their house, given up their home. We use their garage and we have a, I teach a couples class in there and we average about 25, 20, I'm 26, 28 in the couples class. And then, of course, um, uh, we use the garage in there for, for junior church and we use uh, their house. They've given up their home to where we use their dining room. We use their, their living room and then some other places, outbuildings on their property. And it's just amazing what God is doing there. But what it says is this is God can do it anywhere if you're willing to go. You ought to go. We have what we call a session. And I like to bring even, even pastors that are struggling out there somewhere where so this pastor, maybe he's, he's looking to quit or he's looking to give up. We bring him in for what we call a session. We bring him in on Thursday and then we start off with Friday morning with a prayer meeting. We, we average about 14 men, 6 a.m. on Friday morning, every Friday morning. And then uh, we take them out to dinner on Friday night and then Saturday morning we have a staff meeting. I encourage some of the pastors and young men to come to my staff meeting. And that's at 7.30 on Saturday morning. And then uh, uh, from there we have uh, a preaching class every Saturday morning. And we have uh, about 15, 16, 18 men that come to that preaching class every Saturday morning. Anywhere from the age of 7 years old to 57 years old. And everywhere in between. And boy, I tell you what, we have a good time. Matter of fact, Brother Tyler's been there and, and been a part of that. And we have a good time. And they get up and preach and preach about three-minute sermons. Every one of them get to preach every Saturday morning. Then we go soul winning every Saturday morning. By the way, soul winning still works. 
Go soul winning every Saturday morning. We, we have a, at 10 o'clock, we have about uh, 40, 45 people that go out soul winning every Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning, we get to see anywhere from three to 10 people trust Christ as their Savior every Saturday morning. God is good. And then we have lunch, and then we have a men's Saturday, uh, a Saturday night men's prayer meeting every Saturday night. And uh, these are just things I shared with Brother Weaver that he says, you need to tell, you need to tell our students this because they need to know that, that this church doesn't just grow because you're a good guy or whatever. It's because God answers prayer. Amen. You see, God does answer prayer, by the way. And so we have this prayer meeting every Saturday night from 7 p.m. to uh, 10 p.m. It was from 9 p.m. to midnight, but some of the older guys said, Preacher, can you make this a little earlier? But every Saturday night, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., we, we get in there and somebody encourages us in prayer. They preach to us for about 15, 20 minutes. And then from there, we pray, for, pray, for our, our, our pray over our roster. And then after we pray over the roster, we take about an hour. We pray for our country. We pray for a revival. And then from there, we go out amongst the city. We go out in the city. We pray for uh, uh, our businesses. Matter of fact, I have a businessman in our church where um, he owns three businesses and, and does phenomenally well. And we go to his businesses and pray that God will bless those businesses. We go down to town and pray for our city and pray for our mayor and ask God to give us that city. We spend about 20, 30 minutes doing that and then we go back to our property, our new property, and asking God to give us the resources and the finances to build that building. That first phase one that we're building is going to cost us about $3 million. I'm asking God right now to give us $10 million. Does God own the cattle on a thousand hills? He can provide that $10 million and I believe God's going to provide that for us this year. And then we pray over our staff, and then after that, we pray over one of our uh, assistant pastors. His wife had a stroke this past year, about nine or ten months ago. And we pray over him, and her, he, she, he stands in her place, and we pray that God will heal her, and God has done an amazing work in her life as well. That's a three-hour prayer meeting that we, that we take on every Saturday night. That's what we call, then we, we have Sunday, and then we just sit back on Sunday and watch God work. You see, God has placed us on the front seat, and we get to, we get to watch God right off the front seat. Just like some of you down here sit on the front seat, you want, to, you want to get it all. You want to take it all in. And that's what we're doing at Homeland Baptist Church. We're just taking it all in. We're sitting back and watching God work, and it's incredible, incredible to watch God work. Amen? Absolutely incredible. Well, I want to, if I can, get into the, the message, and I got about, uh, I don't know, what do I have, about 30, 40 minutes, 30 minutes from here. What time did you say I need to stop? What time? For 40 minutes from here? Oh, 40 minutes total. Okay. All right. All right. I, I don't want to belabor this, and I want you to get what God has. Amen? Amen. At age 15, God called me to preach, like some of you. One of the highest callings known to mankind is to be called to preach. For you ladies, one of the highest callings is to Marry a man that has been called to preach. But I believe one of the highest callings that you can have in life is to be called to preach. I truly believe that. However, three and a half years ago, God called me to a higher calling. You say, what? A higher calling than being a preacher and a higher calling than being a pastor? Yes, a higher calling. See, not everyone is called to such a high calling. There's some in life that God has allowed us to go through what would be his bigger plan and a higher call. It's called hard times and suffering, troubles or trials, tribulation. Some of you here today are going through some trials. 
Some of you here today are going through some struggles. Some of you here today are just wondering, how, how am I, I going to pay my school bill? Mom's at home and mom's sick. Maybe your brother or your sister's going through something. You don't understand why. Maybe somebody in your household, they found out they have cancer. No one likes troubles, trials, and tribulations. No one likes hard times and no one likes suffering. No one likes affliction. Most would say there's no way what that person is going through would I want to go through what they're going through. There's nobody in this room today that would say, or this auditorium today, that would look at somebody that's going through a trial and say, you know what, I want what they have. I want to go, with, I want to go through what they're going through. Nobody jumps up and says that. Nobody comes to an altar and says, hey, that's what I want. I want to go through what he's going through. Hey, man, that guy has cancer. I want cancer like that, that guy has cancer. Nobody jumps up and says something like that. You see, trials and troubles and suffering and affliction comes on you, and you never anticipate it, and you never expect it, nor do you ever desire it. God never said he would give you the grace and sufficiency that you would need until you need it. Everything God does in our lives is for our good and for his glory, including suffering, by the way. By the way, it, it turns out to be a pretty incredible results if we allow it in our life. These bad occurrences that happen to us in our life, God allows them. And he uses them for his glory if you'll let him. Troubles and trials will teach us lessons in life school that will never leave us the same. It can maybe be said as we read John, uh, James chapter 1, don't take the time to turn there, but it can be maybe for this reason God preserved the words in James 1, 2 through 4 where he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, every story in the Bible carries an element of grief or heartache that someone had to experience at that time to give us an example. You understand when Paul was going through what he went through, he probably didn't realize that, that the rest of the world for the rest of eternity would be, be reading stories about his life. By the way, the title of the message is this, is let God write your story. Let God write your story. You see, there never was or there was never a story to tell until the people in the Word of God experienced a story. There wouldn't be a story to tell about the Apostle Paul unless the Apostle Paul went through his story. So now we have a story to tell others about the Apostle Paul every time we get up to preach. Every time we get up to talk about Moses. You see, Moses went, what, went through what he went through to, tell, to, to give a story of his life. And now God gave us his story for us to tell others about his story so we can encourage others about his story. But you, you know, I bet you Moses didn't know that, that God was writing his story. I bet you everybody in the Bible that went through whatever they went through didn't realize at the time that God was writing their story. By the way, God is writing your story right now. God is writing a story of your life right now. Did you know that? What if God were writing your story just like he wrote the story of the men and the women in the Bible? You understand the people in the Word of God had no idea that God was putting together a book of remembrance about them that would subsequently help us with our story.
What if God were writing a book about your story of life today? Take your Bibles, go to Malachi chapter 3 with me, if you would. Malachi chapter 3. Hold your place there in 2 Corinthians, if you would. And go over to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. I must hurry and hasten, but I want you to get this, if you would, with me. Malachi chapter 3. And look there, if you would, with me. Malachi chapter 3. And look at verse 16. Malachi 3.16. Are you there yet? Still, has some, still hear some pages turning. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16. Here we go. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. Notice that. The Lord heard it. And notice this. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Do you think upon the name of the Lord? Hello? Are you with me? Do you think upon the name of the Lord or are you just here, here for school for education? Do you think upon the name of the Lord? Talk to me. We'll get out of here a lot sooner if you say amen a whole lot. Do you talk to the Lord? Amen. How often? Well, let's not answer that question. But God said that he's writing a book about those that think about him and talk about his name. So I venture to say that if you talk about God and you think about God, that he's writing a book about you. The Bible just said it right there. You see, every day that we live, God is developing a story about your life. God is allowing us to experience our story so that we may use it for his glory and someone else's good. Every day of your life, God is writing your story. And by the way, uh, Brother Shepherd's story, Shepherd, right? Brother Shepherd's story is not the same as Dr. R's story. And Dr. R's story is not the same story as Dr. Weaver's story. Everybody has their own story. And by the way, God is writing your story right now. God is writing your story right now. Let me give you a few things real quick. God has a bigger plan than what we can see right now. And here's point number one of the sermon. I will get through this as quick as possible. God's bigger plan leads us to have compassion and grace for others as God develops our story through hard times and suffering. You see, God has a bigger plan and a higher call for you. 2 Corinthians, if you look back in our text there in 2 Corinthians real quick and look in chapter 1 and verse 4 with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Who comforts us in all our what? Tribulation. Tribulation. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So God says this, when you have a trial, when you have some suffering, when you have some things going on in your life, he's allowing you to go through that. So when you go through that later on, somebody else is going to go through that and you can take what you've gone through and you can go to them and say, hey, look, I know what you're going through because I have been there. I have been there. And you see, the thing is, is God is writing your story today. And he's wanting you to take your story and use it for the glory of God. You see, there are some lessons that can be taught from uh, life's trials, by the way. You see, Israel, when they, led, when, when, when they were led through the wilderness, learned to fear God and obey God. Jonah's experience also taught him to obey the first time. Paul's blinding experience on the road to Damascus taught him there is only one way to please God and his way, uh, uh, and, and not, not his way, but God's, God's way and not the traditions of men, not the religions of man. By the way, also, Jesus, or after Jesus healed the blind man from a lifetime of darkness, he understood God's power. See, all these events change the lives of the ones who experience their story. Let me say this. Number two, God often uses hard times and suffering to direct us into God's bigger plan. 
The trials we go through many times help de develop our story and often changes the direction that we're going through to put us on a course that he desires for us. Let me give you number three. I'm skipping through some of this. Number three, hard times of suffering should drive us to a closer walk with God. Hard times of suffering ought to drive you. Hey, you may not be going through anything right now, but you better hang on because it just may come your way. You better be ready and you better be walking with God when those troubles, those trials, those hard times come. Because you, if you're not ready for it, if you're not prayed up and you're not walking with your God, can I tell you something? You're going to walk away from God. Number four, suffering reminds us that this world is not our home. God has a bigger plan and a higher call for us. Hebrews 13, 14, don't turn there for time's sake, but God says this, for we, we here have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. You see, God's bigger plan and God's higher call that he has placed on your life has a purpose for someone else's story to end well. That's called heaven. You see, everything that you go through is for the purpose of God giving you that story so you can tell somebody else about your story so they can have a story to tell that they found Jesus Christ as their Savior. Did you hear that? Are you still awake? Let me ask you something. What if your story would allow someone else to experience heaven? Let me say it again. What if your story would allow somebody else to experience heaven? If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again and look at verses 5 and 6. Notice there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. The Bible says this. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, notice this, it is for your consolation and what? Wait a minute, I don't think you got that. Maybe you didn't open your Bible with me. Verse 6 says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and what? Salvation. Which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, listen here, what you go through just may be for somebody else's consolation and their salvation. Oh, listen, we got to understand what you go through in life is for God's glory. God, let me say this. God rewrote my story three and a half years ago. Are you with me? God rewrote my story of life three and a half years ago. God gave me a new story to tell. If I could say this, I was preaching. It was July the 13th, 2014. I had been pastoring of this church Pastor Homeland Baptist Church for a year, a little over a year, year and a half. And that Sunday night, I got a phone, I actually got a text message. I got a phone call, but I didn't hear the phone call because I was preaching at the time. So I got a text message, and we were fellowshipping, and I saw the text message, and this, it said, uh, it was from Iowa State Trooper. It said, Pastor Foreman, you need to give me a call as soon as possible. ASAP. So I got on the phone, I called uh, the state trooper, and he said, uh, Brother Foreman, this is uh, State Trooper Paul Gardner. He said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but uh, there was a tragic accident this afternoon. There were two fatalities, and in uh, those fatalities, it was involved in an ATV accident. And unfortunately, to say this, your daughter, your daughter was one of them. I'm sorry to say that. I said, well, who's the other? It was her boyfriend. You see, that Sunday afternoon... 
my daughter and her boyfriend with whom I have been talking and they, he had asked me just 19 days before they became boyfriend-girlfriend if, if she could become his girlfriend. And I'd been talking with him for six months over the phone. Every week I'd talk to him. His name was Jordan. I said, Jordan, listen, he asked me if, I, if, if he could uh, uh, date my daughter, court my daughter. And I said, hey, yeah, yeah sure, but I uh, hope you like my shotgun. Man, my daughter, beautiful, beautiful red-headed girl. I mean, she was, she was beautiful. And he asked if, she, if he could date her, court her. And I said, sure. He says, I don't want to do this right. I, don't want, to, I, want, I want your blessing. I want your permission. And sure enough, 19 days before they, killed, they were killed, he had asked her to be his girlfriend. Well, one Sunday afternoon after church that day, they went out with a married couple and they were riding four-wheelers. Just out having a good time, and, well, and they decided it's time to go back to the. But it's time to go back, get ready for church that night, and so they were headed back into their de destination. And and that that day, they were one mile, one mile from their destination. They come out of the woods, and of course that that other couple, she had hurt her ankle just like ten minutes before that, and they headed on out before them. And so that other couple had gone back, and then they were coming out right behind them just a few minutes later. They all usually ride together, but that day they did not. And so they come out of the woods that day and were anticipating they were doing 45 miles an hour. And at 45 miles an hour, there was no, there was no wind, there was no storm that day. God had a different plan. There was a tree about this big around that as they were doing 45 miles an hour, the tree just fell out of the tree line. It was a Fort Dodge, Iowa. The tree fell out of the tree line and fell right on top of them. The tree didn't fall in front of them. The tree didn't fall on the forward. The tree fell right on top of them at 45 miles an hour. You explain that to me. Other than God. When I got that phone call that night, I was just, I was in shock. What do you do? What do you do when you get a phone call from a state trooper and he says, hey, by the way, 20-year-old daughter's dead. All I could do is weep. I was kind of in shock, I'll be honest with you. My wife had already gone home that night. She wasn't feeling well, and she left just right immediately after church. Of course, one of my best friends, one of my men in my church, he saw that something was wrong. He said, Brother Foreman, what's wrong? I said, Sadie's gone. He said, what do you mean? I said, she was killed. She had a car accident, an ATV accident today, and she was killed. I said, I don't even know how I'm going to tell my wife. He said, get in my truck, let's go. Of course, we went to my house, and we walked in the door, and when she saw somebody else walk in the door with me, and I didn't look too pleasant, she knew something was wrong. She said, what's wrong? I said, sit down. She said, what's wrong? I said, sit down. I set my wife down. I told my wife, I said, Sadie's gone. Sadie was killed today. My wife, all she could say is, no! No, God, no! This can't be true! And all we did was just weep together. All we could do is just cry. How do you accept this? How do you accept this? 
God, I don't understand. I don't understand. Some of you sitting here today have been through some things you don't understand either. But can I tell you something? God rewrote my story that day. God allowed me to write a gospel track about my daughter. It says, are you prepared? And it has Jordan's picture and Sadie's picture on it. it. has their death dates on there. And on the inside, it has a picture of the tree. It says, what the, what the, what the article said, it says, two dead in freak accident. Can I say something? That's what the newspaper said. But it wasn't a freak accident. It was an appointment by God. Did you hear me? It was an appointment by God. God allowed me to write this gospel track, Dr. R. From this gospel track, I've been able to lead, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of people to Christ from this gospel track. You see, I told, I told Dr. Uh, uh, Weaver one day, I said, you know, one, uh, yesterday I said, one day I prayed to God and I said, God, I want to be one of the greatest soul winners that ever walks on the face of this earth. But little did I know that it would take God taking my 20-year-old baby girl to, to allow me or make me a better soul winner. Oh, you see, I went soul winning all the time and I told people about Jesus, but can I tell you something? God put a new fire in my soul now. Let me ask you something. What is it going to take for God to put a new fire in your soul? Is it going to be God taking a loved one from you for you to get a fire to go soul in it? Is it going to take somebody, you losing somebody or a tragedy or a trial? Don't wait. Don't wait for the tragedy to have to come into your life to make you a better servant of God. You ought to tell God today, God, I want, to get, I want to become a better servant for you today. God, I want to be a better soul winner today. And I don't want to have to go through a trial. But listen, if God allows you to go through a trial and he writes your, rewrites your story, can I tell you something? Take it and use it for the glory of God. You see, God rewrote my story three and a half years ago. God allowed me to write this gospel track. I was on the airplane coming out here. I was on the, I was on the airplane. This 34-year-old lady, she's a wine broker, lives in Austin, Texas. Got on the plane, and the first front row seats were open. Well, hallelujah. Glory to God. And this 34-year-old this lady, she's trying to put her suitcase in. She was asking the, the, the stewardess, can you help me put this up here? I don't want to bowl on somebody. She was a short girl. So I said, I'll get in. I pushed it up in there, and then she was sitting right there on the front seat. I just got over by the window seat, and nobody sat between us, and that was where we sat on the flight. She got to asking me, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She's like, oh, are you kidding me? I had to sit by a pastor on the airplane. You can just see her countenance changed. Well, then she said, hey, do you have a family? I said, yeah, I've got a wife of almost 32 years. We married 32 years in July. I said, I was nine. She was eight when we got married. She said, you don't look that old. And I said, thank you. But anyways, she says, you have a family of children? I said, yeah, I have a 29-year-old daughter and three grandchildren. I have a 19-year-old son to be 19 next month. And then I said, I have a 20-year-old daughter. That, she would be 23 now, but she was killed three and a half years ago when I handed her this gospel track. 
You can just see her countenance just changed. She said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She says, well, I'll just tell you now, I'm not religious. I've never been to church, really. My dad was, my dad was atheist, and my mom was Presbyterian, and I'm confused. I said, well, that's okay. There's a lot of people where you are. Before you knew it, it was a 45-minute flight. At the end of that flight, she bowed her head with me, and she prayed out loud right there on that plane. I just believe that the story of my daughter changed the story of her life. Here this lady was a wine broker, 34 years old, didn't believe there was a God. She says, man, I don't even, I don't even know if there's this thing called faith. I said, well, you know what? You got on this airplane and you see that pilot? No, you can't see him, but he's in the cockpit up there. And when you stepped on this plane, you said this, I'm going to put my faith in that pilot to get me to the other side. I said, don't tell me you don't know what faith is. Don't tell me you can't have faith because you stepped on this, fa on this plane believing and having faith. I said, just like he's going to get us to Dallas and he's going to get us to the other side, our Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth to get us to the other side. And all you got to do, just like you put your faith in this pilot to get us there, you just have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. She says, wow, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Boy, she bowed her head and she trusted Christ as her Savior. I mean, she didn't just, dear Lord, thank you for this day. No, she prayed out loud. She prayed out loud. I mean, I leaned over like this, and I prayed, and she leaned over like this, and there was about three inches between our heads. And boy, she prayed out loud. And you know what happened to her yesterday? Her story changed. God changed her story. Let me ask you something. Will you let God write your story? By the way, he's writing your story whether you know it or not. And see, your story can be a story where everybody else can look back on it one day and say, they lived a good life. And your story might glorify God. Or it just may be that you go the wrong direction in life and God's still writing your story and somebody look back on your story and say, wow, what happened to John? Or what happened to Susie? Or what happened to Sam? Or what happened to Jeff? You see, your story, God is writing your story, but the way you handle things is going to determine how your story turns out. Some of you ought to come down this altar this morning and say, God, I want my story to turn out well. You ought to let God use your story. Because God, God has a bigger plan and a higher call for some of you here today. The question is this, is when God brings that story, new story to your life, how are you going to use it? Or will you? Everybody gets either bitter or better with what God brings them in their life. What are you going to do with your story?